watching the rise and fall of human systems. Light radiates in a pattern of expanding waves. Is there life elsewhere? How does it affect us? These are big questions. Yet the meaning of all this to us is far from ordinary. You're listening to Transistor, a science series from PRX. Previously on All My Circuits. I'm sorry, Father, but somewhere along the way, I forgot how to be your son. Why, Antonio? Because I have amnesia. Hollywood is fascinated with amnesia. Before I kill you, I must ask you one question. Who am I? For I have amnesia. While the scenes may be dramatic, as so beautifully spoofed in this episode of Futurama, the science is often not so hot. Let me get this straight. Does anyone here not have amnesia? Uh, I don't know. The way in which amnesia is portrayed in films and TV shows and books, etc., only rarely (laughs) accurately capture the details of real-life amnesia. But they're frequently very entertaining, and they're very revealing about what people think about memory. For the past 20 years, Dr. Neil Cohen has taught a wildly popular course at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana about amnesia and popular culture. Today, Neil and I will explore how TV and movies play with and sometimes mangle what we know about amnesia. This show is awesome. When I grow up, I'm going to have so much amnesia. Me too. I mean, I have it now, but I forgot. This is Totally Cerebral, part of Transistor from PRX, supported by the Sloan Foundation. I'm Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Dr. Neil Cohen is an expert on human memory, and one of his early contributions was to identify the category of things that patients with amnesia could learn completely normally. The key distinction that he and his colleague Larry Squire came up with was the difference between knowing how and knowing that. So amnesic patients know how to do things like work a key in a lock, swing a tennis racket, or punch in a sequence on a keypad. In other words, amnesic patients can learn and remember motor procedures completely normally. By contrast, these same amnesic patients don't know that something happened. They don't know that they met somebody for lunch, or they don't know that they watched a particular show on TV after dinner. And the way neuroscientists talk about it is that we say that amnesia spares memory for procedures. And we've heard about this in our previous episodes because this was started by the original descriptions of Brenda Milner, who showed that H.M. had terrible memory for facts and events, but he could learn some simple skills. That's knowing how. And Neil really expanded on that. And not only that, he expanded on this by studying a number of amnesic patients when he worked with Larry Squire at UC San Diego. But later, he was able to actually test and work with extensively patient H.M. himself, the most famous amnesic patient that has ever been studied. One of my favorite examples is he lived some distance from where we tested him. We tested him at MIT's Clinical Research Center. Um, We'd bring him in for a week or two weeks. 
Um, and uh, during the time I was there, I was often the person who drove him in this say two hour drive mm. to get to uh, to get to MIT. So we had this long stretches of conversation. Wow. Where as long as the conversation was proceeding on a single topic, he was right there with me, uh-huh. and and you would never be able to tell he was the famous amnesic patient HM. But as soon as it got interrupted, if if instead of talking we got distracted by something on the radio and then came back, or if we changed the topic too radically, he had no memory whatsoever of what transpired before. Um, in his case, he was not terribly troubled by this. Mm-hmm. He was very comfortable uh, with his knowledge that he had a memory impairment mm-hmm. and that surely I knew where we were going, even if he didn't. <laughs> so there was this trust, fantastic, trust. <laughs> yeah, this fantastic level of trust he exhibited. And it was part of why all those who came to, to know him um, wanted so much to protect him, cared about mm-hmm. him, and looked after him. So, Neil, that was such a wonderful story. And I love hearing these kinds of personal stories about HM from you and Brenda Milner and Sue Corkin that I've interviewed for this podcast. And as you and I know, amnesia is so popular, but also so misunderstood, um, which is why I love this class that you've told me about before that you teach about memory and amnesia. Could you tell me about that a little bit more? Sure. So the course is Memory and Amnesia, and I've had uh, the great good fortune of teaching this class for over 20 years here. And it, um, it occurred to me that most of what people know or much of what the public knows about memory in the brain comes from the media, comes from movies and TV programs and the like. And those of us who study memory by looking at amnesia find that amnesia, the nature of amnesia, the sorts of things a patient with amnesia can and cannot do, tells us a great deal about the nature of normal human memory, how memory is organized and implemented in the brain, the function or purpose of memory, and the function or purpose of forgetting. And those lessons we learn from the patients who are kind enough, generous enough to um, give us their time and allow us to study them, those lessons we learn from these real patients are learned by the public from these not-so-real Hollywood cases of amnesia. I want us to look at uh, a clip um, uh, that you use in your class from the Jason Bourne movies. It gets back to this one of the classic findings that you talked about in Conan Squire, the difference between, at least partially it gets at, the difference between um, knowing how that you can do it with amnesia and knowing that, that you don't, that you can't do with amnesia. So this is very near the beginning of the movie. Uh, Jason Bourne, uh, it turns out, has been shot, falls into the sea. We don't quite know that yet. What we know is here is a a fishing trawler uh, out in rough seas, and someone sees what might be a body in the ocean, a motionless what might be a body in the ocean. They throw their net around it, uh, this object. They bring it up to the deck. They open up the deck, and there's this there's this man who has been injured. And uh, we watch this man, Jason Bourne, recover. He is uh, the doctor, the ship doctor, removes the, the bullets from his body. And what this clip is about is whether he is also recovering in terms of his memory abilities, his cognitive abilities, because his memory, when he first wakes up, when he first comes to, is gravely impaired. And that's where we come in now. 
here's our trawler. And uh, Jason Bourne is already recovered well enough physically that he is earning his keep by working with the other fishermen. But during his off times, he's trying to come to grips with his amnesia. Tell me who I am. He's looking in the mirror. If you know who I am, please tell me. Stop messing around. He's doing so in a range of different languages. So here he is capable of helping the, the, the job of, of fishing out in the seas. He speaks multiple languages. If you want to eat, you better get in there. You know, based on these charts, I, I think I may have been closer to the coast. What's this? He's talking to the doctor now. You tie these knots? So he starts to come back, here? Eh? No, it doesn't start to come back. The knot's like everything else. I just found the rope and I did it. Same way I can, I can read, I can write, I can add, subtract, I can make coffee, I can shuffle cards, I can set up a yes, chessboard. Yes, yes, it will come back. I mean, no, it's not coming back, goddammit, that's the point. I'm down here looking through this, all this shit for two weeks I'm down here. It's not working, I don't even know what to look for. You need to rest. It will come back. What if it doesn't come back? So to me, this is a remarkable clip. He's describing in fant fantastically accurately this issue of the dissociation between different kinds of memory. He's clearly intelligent. He has lots of knowledge. He has his skills intact, and yet he has this profound memory impairment. Um, so far, this is extraordinarily accurate, very much like HM. And now here's the part where they take liberties. The nature of his impairment is he's lost all knowledge about himself, all autobiographical information. He doesn't know who he is and how he came to be that way. And that's not typical of the kinds of amnesias we see in HM or other people with uh, that kind of brain damage. But very common of amnesia in movies. Where am I? Where yes. did I come from? Exactly. So let's go to the other Bourne clip right now. Sure. Um, Jason Bourne is now on the run. It turns out that he is uh, a wanted man, the spy agency that has trained him to have these fantastic skills, which, as we've discussed, are, are preserved. So uh, there are other aspects of the movie that show you what an incredibly effective fighter and killer and uh, he is, how able he is to navigate through foreign lands, uh, not get caught, etc., and he finds this woman, Marie, and convinces her to give him a ride so that he can escape where he is at the moment. And they ride for many hours, and then they stop at a rest stop and have some food. And he's trying to explain to her what his situation is like, and he reveals to her that he has this profound amnesia. I'm not making this up. These are real. They're passports, he's showing her. Okay. Who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I come in here 
And the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sight lines and looking for an exit. I see the exit sign too, I'm not worried. I mean, you were shot. People do all kinds of weird and amazing stuff when they're scared. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? So beautiful. It captures the essence of what those of us who study amnesia for insights into normal memory have learned, namely this idea that there are multiple memory systems. How is it possible for him to know these things and not those things? The answer is because they're based upon different memory systems of the brain. But how could he, I mean, I, I agree that there are some skill things that he learned, but I, I don't believe that he's going to be able to memorize the six license plate numbers in one fell swoop um, with, with amnesia. Here we have to distinguish between anterograde amnesia and retrograde amnesia. Mm -hmm. So anterograde amnesia refers to a deficit in acquiring new information, laying down new enduring memories after the time of the injury or after the time of the onset of amnesia. This is what we see in HM. This is what we see in the classic cases of amnesia due to brain damage. Then there's retrograde amnesia, which is loss of memories that uh, for the period prior to the onset of amnesia. So the amnesia stretch back, stretches backward in time in a retrograde direction, backward from the onset of amnesia. Information that was acquired normally at the time, but now is unavailable. So in Jason Bourne, what we're seeing is a retrograde amnesia. He's lost his memory, his autobiographical memory, memory of his past, including his name and his occupation and things that define him, things that we usually think of as identity. But he has no anterograde amnesia. So whatever he takes in day to day, minute by minute, since the time he's recovered, is coming in just fine. So those license plate numbers, um, he's able to do because he, he's in, in the present. He looks around. He has keen uh, uh, observational skills. He picks up the, those numbers, and he remembers them just as he remembers Marie's name, just as he remembers how he came to be at that diner at that moment. So they're showing us a distinction now between anterograde aspects of memory, which in his case are intact, and retrograde aspects of memory, which in his case are impaired. So in HM, you'll recall, HM has, uh, is known mostly for his profound anterograde amnesia. He cannot make new enduring memories, unlike what we're seeing here with Jason Bourne. Um, HM also has some amount of retrograde amnesia, so some amount of memory loss extending backward in time, but not stretching so far back in time that he's unaware of who he is, that he's lost his autobiographical story. Well, that actually sets us up for the next clip that I wanted to talk about, with, which gets to what it, it's like uh, on a personal level to have to live with such profound amnesia. And I'm talking about the Finding Nemo clip. 
This is uh, certainly one of the favorites in the memory and amnesia <laughs> class. Um, it's reasonably accurate other than the fact that there's talking fish. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but the backdrop to the story prior to where we come in is uh, we're seeing Marlin, who is a clownfish, whose son Nemo, uh, uh -huh. a little, a, a, a teeny <laughs> clownfish, uh -huh. has been taken away by people on a boat. Yeah. And Marlin is scouring the oceans to find Nemo, mm -hmm. to bring him back. And we come across the first uh, other fish who's going to help him, who who is, yikes, what's her name? Dory. Dory. <laughs> Dory. 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 <laughs> Sorry. So he's... he's uh, I thought so, that was dramatic, you know, dramatic pause. <laughs> I know. I know. That's so funny. I'm Sorry. Anybody seen a boat? Please, a white boat! They took my son! My son! Help me! Please! Look out! Oh. Oh. oh, oh, sorry! I didn't see you, oh. sir. Are you, are you okay? He's gone. There, there. No, he's gone. It's all right. He's gone. It'll be okay. No, no, they took him away. I, I have to find the boat. A boat? Hey, I've seen a boat. You have? Uh-huh, and it passed by not too long ago. A white one? Hi, I'm Dory. Where? Which way? Oh, oh, oh. It, it went, um, this way. It went this way. Follow me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. No problem. So off they go. They speed off to follow the white boat. Dory's now slowed down. They're no longer speeding in a particular direction. And she thinks she's being stalked by poor Marlin here. She doesn't remember why Marlin is following her. And now she's playing hide and seek with him. Will you quit it? What? I'm trying to swim here. What, the ocean isn't big enough for you or something like that? Huh? You got a problem, buddy? Huh? Huh? Do you? Do you? Do you? Want a piece of me? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I'm scared now. What? Wait a minute. Stop following me, okay? What are you talking about? You're showing me which way the boat went. A boat? Hey, I've seen a boat. It passed by not too long ago. It, it went, um, this way. It went this way. Follow me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is going on? You already told me which way the boat was going. I did? Oh, no. If this is some kind of practical joke, it's not funny. And I know funny. I'm a clownfish. No, it's not. I know it's not. I'm I'm so sorry. See, I, I suffer from short-term memory loss. Short-term memory loss. I don't believe this. No, it's true. I forget things almost instantly. It runs in my family. Well, I mean, at least I think it does. Um, hmm. Where are they? Can I help you? Something's wrong with you. Really. You're wasting my time. I have to find my son. Oh. So what do you tell your students about this scene? Yes, it's very sweet. It's very sad. So one thing, I, uh, one thing to take from this, uh, the description she gives, she says she has short-term memory mm. loss. Yeah. And this is a phrase you hear a lot. You hear a lot as a description of Alzheimer's disease. Uh, and, and frankly, you hear this as a description of all the things we call anterograde amnesia, mm -hmm. right? You're holding this in mind for a time, but if it's too long, it's lost. What the phrase sort of means 
is that if it's short enough period of time, you're okay. If it's longer than that amount of time, uh, you're impaired. Calling it short-term memory loss is backwards. I don't quite get why that's the uh, favorite term out in the general public. Yeah, not it just implies... backwards, it's wrong. <laughs> just so let's be clear that that from a neuropsychological point of view, it's wrong. And we've talked about this with Sue, Suzanne Corkin as well. So just want to emphasize that. Yes, no, exactly. So, so my students get a kick out of my climbing up on my soapbox about short-term memory loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a better way to say it is it's a recent memory loss mm-hmm. where your more remote memories are intact. Um, but it's deeply misleading if you've watched someone over an extended period of time. So HM, 40 years into his impairment, <laughs> still shows the same kind of impairment. Information acquired long, long, long ago is okay. Mm-hmm. Information acquired re- more recently was able to be held around for a little while and then eventually lost. But in the moment, in the short term, that's the one place where his performance is good. It really is the anterograde retrograde distinction we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. It's an anterograde memory impairment, which manifests itself by the inability for those that incoming information to become long-term memories, whereas the retrograde component of memory is intact. Yeah. What are your favorite examples of the worst depictions of amnesia? Um, I think the most dangerous of it, because it, it on its face seems real, but is grossly misleading is 50 first dates. Mm. So we're going to see Henry and Lucy. Henry and Lucy met the day before the clip we're going to see. They met for the first time together at a a breakfast spot where they got along famously and uh, um, had a lot of fun and then and said they'll see one another the next day. And uh, Henry shows up to the to the diner, the cafe for breakfast but Lucy will come in and we will hear um, uh, that amnesia has gotten in the way. So, so the thing to pay attention to is what kind of amnesia is this? And what will help us is uh, there'll be another character who comes in and explains Lucy's condition to Henry. And this is the, the, this is the star of this uh, clip for us. Aloha. Aloha. Not aloha, hello. Aloha, goodbye. We're close today. Go away. What are you talking about? Order up. Don't move. I have to talk to you. Okay. Hey, tattoo face. Hey, people want to come. Hi. Hi. My fingers are extra fishy today, if you care to take a whiff. What was that? I was petting my walrus all morning, and I was thinking about you the whole time. Okay, pervert, I think that you should leave. What? I'm just moving around because of what we talked about yesterday. Yesterday? I've never even met you. Nick! I need help! Coming, Lucy. Nick, put that down. I'll handle it. You, follow me. Wait, what's going on? I was the proprietor has you. come and is going to explain to Henry what's, what's up. Is she crazy or something? Lucy is a very special person, very different from other people. Okay. About a year ago, 
Lucy was in a terrible car accident. She lost her short-term memory. So she can't remember anything? No, 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 no. She has all of her long-term memory. That's a different part of the brain. Her whole life, up to the night before the accident, she remembers. She just can't retain any new information. It's like her slate gets wiped clean every night while she sleeps. Okay, decipher that mess for us, Neil. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So at, at, at first blush, this seems reasonable. Okay, it's a difference between anterograde and retrograde. Her retrograde memory is intact. She doesn't have amnesia for who she is and for the remote past. That's good. That, that, so far, so good. Uh, and her deficit is in acquiring new information. Uh, that's anterograde amnesia. So that sounds like it's a, an acceptable kind of amnesia, that's an accurate kind of amnesia, except for the following part. The claim here is she gets through each day in its entirety just fine, but she goes to bed at night, and when she wakes up, the slate of that day's events have been wiped clean. That is a dangerous description of amnesia because it does not occur in real life. One of the things I find so interesting about it um, uh, that makes it a fantastic teaching moment in class is, let's ask the following question. What does happen to memory overnight? Mm -hmm. Is there any brain activity during sleep? Absolutely. Does it wipe memory out or does it, in fact, help memory? And it turns out the last 10 years or 20 years has provided some fantastic work on the beneficial effects. In fact, the necessary uh, role of sleep to consolidate memories, to take new memories and make them stronger. Uh, rather than staying up all night to cram for a test, the best thing you can do is get some sleep between the time that you have taken new information in and the time you're tested. That will make the memory best of all. Unfortunately, that's a piece of information that hasn't reached the students yet, but, but we're still working on that, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, in the end, this is kind of diabolically wrong. It, yes. It's so wrong, but it, it picks up on something that's very interesting and uses it in a completely incorrect way. Yes. So, and of course, this was, they didn't try and be diabolically wrong. They were trying to make some interesting movie. Um, Okay, just uh, as a 180-degree as a um, counterpart to 51st States, one of my favorite memory movies is Memento. Absolutely. Uh, it is both uh, a brilliant piece of filmmaking and it is uh, extraordinarily accurate. So the main character here is uh, Leonard, and uh, he was attacked. He and his wife were attacked. His wife was killed. Uh, and he has uh, a brain injury, and he's spending the rest of the movie looking for the perpetrator of this act. As a result of his head injury, however, he has a profound anterograde amnesia. But they've done this very, very peculiar thing that's so powerful. Each of the clips we listen to will be a moment in time, a little island in time. But in the movie though each of these clips runs forward in time, and you'll hear this uh, interaction that uh, Leonard has with the front desk clerk of a, of a little motel. Uh, the next piece in the movie will be another island in time that did not, does not occur after the one we just saw, but rather prior to the one we just saw. Like, what? So each individual event runs forward in time, but the series of events runs backward in time the uh, moviegoer 
will not know what's going to happen next because stuff is out of order. Yeah. And that's what permits the moviegoer to get a sense of what it would be like if every moment in time, if every individual event or episode uh, is untied to the past or the future. This clip here, Leonard is speaking to the front desk clerk, Bert. Hi. Hi. I'm Mr. Shelby from 304. Right, what can I do for you, Leonard? Um, Bert. Bert, I'm not sure. I think I may have asked you to hold my calls. You don't know? Well, I think I may have. I'm not too good on the phone. Right, you said you like to look people in the eye when you talk to them. Yeah. yeah. You don't remember saying that. Well, that's the thing. I have this condition. A condition? It's my memory. Amnesia? No, 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 no. It's different from that. I have no short-term memory. I know who I am. I know all about myself. I just... Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades. If we talk for too long, I'll forget how we started. And next time I see you, I'm not going to remember this conversation. <laughs> I don't even know if I've met you before. So if I seem a little strange or rude or something, uh, I've told you this before, haven't I? Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to mess with you, but it's so weird. You don't remember me at all. No. We've talked a bunch of times. I'm sure we have, yeah. Well, what's the last thing you remember? My wife. What's it like? It's like waking. It's like you just woke up. That must suck. It's all backwards, I mean. Like, maybe you get an idea about what you want to do next, but you don't remember what you just did? I mean, I'm exactly the opposite. Uh, how long have I been staying here? A couple of days. And you're holding my calls? Like you said. Okay. But this guy's an exception. You know this guy? Yeah, it's your friend, right? What makes you think he's my friend? I just saw you together, that's all. He's not my friend. Okay. If he calls or if he shows up here, you give me a call in my room, okay? What, his name's Teddy? Teddy, yeah. All right. Look, I hope my condition's not going to be a problem for you. No, not as long as you uh, remember to pay the bill. <laughs> yeah, okay. Forty. It's just brilliant. So the good parts, right? It's antegrade amnesia. His description of what antegrade amnesia is like mm -hmm. is wonderful. Mm -hmm. So the conversation's fine, but if too much time has elapsed, those memories will start to fade and he won't remember anything about it. That captures it perfectly. Yeah. Except for that part. What's that part, Wendy? Short-term memory. <laughs> Short-term so memory. Ah, oh, yeah, they made a mistake. Exactly. Exactly. They needed us on the film advisory Ex board, Neil. <laughs> exactly. His short-term memory, of course, um, is intact. In fact, that's the that's the thing that is intact. So it's not short-term memory loss in the way that any in the way we understand that, or what what it would be if he really had short-term memory loss. Yeah. But uh, the actual depiction of it is is just right on. Yeah. Other than that. <laughs> well, I can't help thinking of. One of the most common forms of memory loss that everybody tends to experience, which is age-dependent memory loss. And you either experience it yourself or you experience it with members of your family. And um, my father has, uh, has dementia, and, um, which is, is memory loss. But it's striking that his personality 
is so intact. He loves all the same things that he loves. He loves yes. the San Francisco Giants. He loves Broadway plays. And so all of his conversation about that is perfectly normal. He can't remember whether he went out with his friend um, Harry last Friday and if he did what he had for lunch. But there is this capability there in the face of um, losing what is such a critical part of our cognitive abilities. It, it's hard on the on the family members for sure, and and it's great that um, you not only can share your time with him, share the same interests, but also uh, appreciate all that's intact in him. That's that's really a challenge and and a tribute to both of you. My experience is like yours, where the basic personality happily remains very yeah. much intact uh, and they've just and and they can still enjoy many of the same things mm-hmm. uh, they just can't remember about it afterwards yeah Oliver Sachs has a wonderful story along these lines of one of his patients uh, and this one he calls um, oh dear <laughs> here we go again <laughs> so he, there's oh man it's the last hippie so Oliver Sacks has a, a, a case study, a description of an individual case of amnesia that he calls the last hippie. And it's someone who, uh, uh, upon getting amnesia, is cut off from uh, new memories. So he has a very l- gross, longstanding anterograde amnesia. And he's sort of stuck in the particular time when he last was able to make new memories, which for him was in the late 60s. And he loved the music of the late 60s, and especially The Grateful Dead. Mm -hmm. And Sachs describes taking this man to see a concert by The Grateful Dead at Madison Square Garden in New York. And what an extraordinary experience the man, the two of them had, how much fun they both had. And how unforgettable the patient told Sachs that this event would be, how important and wonderful it was, and he would never forget it as long as he lived. Uh, But unfortunately, by the next day, he had forgotten it. Didn't stop him from appreciating it. Didn't stop him from singing along with it. Uh So he was fully in the moment, fully capable of enjoying himself. But it didn't stick. It didn't come with him for the future. So, Neil, I can't help but notice that at some point of this conversation, both of us have forgotten key words or key titles. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it means we're uh, getting a little older than we used to. Uh, Wendy. But, but yes, there is the forgetting that is a normal part of everyday life. Forgetting is a biological process as well as remembering. It is not just in patients, but in people like you and me as well. I'd like to thank my friend, Dr. Neil Cohen, for joining us today and sharing his expertise about amnesia, and especially sharing with us some of his favorite examples from his wonderful class on memory and pop culture at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana. At some level, we all have this innate understanding of how precious memory really is. For me, it makes the idea of living in the moment, like the last hippie, even more important. If we can't remember all the details of all the most wonderful things that we've ever experienced, at least we can be content with the knowledge 
that at that moment, we were 100% there. You've been listening to Totally Cerebral from PRX, produced by Julie Burstein, with editing and sound design by Derek John. We've had production assistance today from Sebastian Raitt and Nell Waksberger. Our executive producer is John Barth, and we've had help from Genevieve Sponsler and Lily Bowie. This episode was recorded at Argo Studios in New York City and WILL-FM. I'm Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Transistor is supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More information on Sloan at sloan.org.